This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup, brought to you by Viking. Exploring the world in comfort. Here's correspondent Allison Keyes. Coming up, the historic indictment of former President Trump over those classified documents. I'm an innocent man. I did nothing wrong. Canadian wildfires cause dangerous air conditions in the U.S. We're going to be seeing more fires over the summer, so this is not a one-off. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, an LGBTQ plus advocacy group declares a national state of emergency. We are in a moment of crisis for the LGBTQ community. I'm Allison Keyes in the Washington Bureau. Friday, a 37-count criminal indictment was unsealed against former President Trump, alleging the mishandling of classified information over those documents at his Florida estate. That makes him the first former president in U.S. history to face federal charges. He denies any wrongdoing. Special Counsel Jack Smith addressed the nation, saying we have one set of laws and they apply to everyone. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. CBS's Nicole Killian with more. The former president has been charged with 37 counts, including willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding a document or record, corruptly concealing a document in a federal investigation, scheme to conceal and false statements and representations. And in addition to that, an aide of the former president by the name of Walt Nada has also been charged as well with a similar accounts, including conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding a document or record, corruptly concealing a document in a federal investigation, scheme to conceal and false statements and representations. And this is all stemming from these boxes of classified documents that the former president took with him after he left office in January of 2021 back to his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. And according to this indictment, you know, these included things like 
information about defense and weapons capabilities, you know, details about the U.S.'s nuclear programs and other uh, national security information. So uh, this is significant. And, and not only did the former president have these documents in his possession, according to this indictment, but on at least two occasions, he showed these documents to other people, including in the summer of 2021. So the former president uh, is now set to appear in federal court in Miami to answer these charges. And next Tuesday, he has maintained his innocence and defended uh, himself vigorously, already fundraising uh, off of this indictment. Uh, But we do expect to see the former president in court once again next week. I would also note that this is the first time a president has been charged in a federal case like this where a former president is facing federal charges. So uh, this is very significant and historic. And Nicole, these charges include some pretty significant jail time? Yeah, that's right. Uh, They could carry years of jail time, uh, potentially, for the former president. It's worth noting that uh, in advance of this indictment being unsealed, the former president did make some changes to his legal team. He was represented by two individuals, Jim Trustee and John Rowley. Those two individuals uh, resigned Friday, uh, although they say that uh, they believe that he will be vindicated. They say because this case was filed in Miami, they believe that this is a logical moment for them to step aside. Uh, The former president says he will now be represented by Todd Blanche uh, and other uh, lawyers that will be part of his legal team. So uh, a lot of changes ahead of the former president's court appearance next week. I'm wondering, I know you've been tracking some of the response from other lawmakers and other candidates that are uh, along with him running for the presidential nomination in 2024. What are people saying? Well, there has been an outpouring of reaction, particularly from House Republicans who really rushed and rallied to the former president's defense as soon as this news broke late Thursday. That includes Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who called this a dark day. He said that House Republicans will hold, quote, this brazen weaponization of power accountable. Uh, We are already starting to see some manifestations of that with House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan sending a letter Friday to the Attorney General demanding more information about this raid or search warrant uh, that was executed on the former president's property last year, which uh, led, of course, to this entire investigation into these classified documents. Uh, So certainly House Republicans uh, intend to be very aggressive uh, about uh, their response. CBS's Nicole Killian. This week, from New York City to Indianapolis, the air quality was dangerously bad due to smoke from wildfires in Canada. Things are expected to keep improving, but CBS News Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. John LaPook says people might need to get used to this. Well, you shouldn't be able to taste air. I mean, it's bad enough to see it and to smell it. <laughs> but on on Wednesday, there was that thick haze. I was, I was outside there that day, um, of course, wearing a mask. And we all saw pictures of that orange-tinged air at the peak on Wednesday. A cardiologist friend of mine told me he had already prescribed inhalers that day to six patients complaining of trouble breathing. There are lots of things that can happen to your health. Of course, you can get itchy eyes and runny nose and sore throat and a bad taste. But there are some very serious things, coughing and wheezing, asthma, exacerbation, 
of COPD, which is a kind of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, chronic lung disease. You can even get heart attacks and it can even be fatal if, if it sets off a heart attack or a, a lung problem that ends up being very serious. Really briefly, John, is this the sort of thing what with the climate issue that we've got that people should start getting used to because cities that aren't in the U.S. deal with much worse than this on a daily basis? The big picture here is that people should start thinking very seriously, and and people are, about how you handle uh, things that happen from climate change, extreme weather. We're going to be seeing more fires over the summer, we're told, in Canada. So this is not a one-off. And it's not just things like this. When the next pandemic comes, because there will be one, we don't know when, um, we learned during uh, COVID that the virus floats through the air like cigarette smoke. And in, over time, in a especially in a poorly ventilated room, it can accumulate and uh, and cause infection, you know, much farther than the, what they were saying, six feet initially. So this whole field of indoor air, about purifying it, about cleaning it, about HVAC systems, about how we can make it so that the air that we are breathing, 90% of the, of the time in our day is indoors. How can we make it that that air uh, is, is healthier for us? And I think that's going to help address all these other issues. CBS News Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. John LaBook. Coming up, what are you doing about tipping? That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. There are some heart-wrenching shootings in the nation this past week, including Wednesday in Richmond, Virginia, where an 18-year-old who had just gotten his high school diploma was fatally shot along with his stepfather. CBS's Nicole Skanga reports. Gunshots and chaos erupted. Just moments after seniors from Huguenot High School and their families left a graduation ceremony in Richmond, Virginia, Tuesday. Several people shot, a couple of maydays. 18-year-old Sean Jackson, who had just accepted his high school diploma, and his 36-year-old stepfather, Lorenzo Smith, were both shot and killed. I watched um, Sean take his final breaths, and I cannot erase that image from my head. The police chief says five others were also hit by gunfire. Today, Richmond's mayor called for peace. This must be the time that we put down guns and lift up our hearts. Police arrested Amari Pollard and say they recovered a handgun. The 19-year-old suspect has been charged with two counts of second-degree murder. Richmond Interim Police Chief Rick Edwards says the alleged gunman had a feud with Jackson. This was targeted at at one individual, and um, so they, they knew each other and had an ongoing dispute. This mass shooting was the country's 279th so far this year. This just needs to stop. I'm tired of the vigils, the well-meaning thoughts and prayers, and the hand-wringing. We need action. 
The school district has postponed all remaining graduation ceremonies. Sadly, two other shootings have impacted Richmond public school students, with three reported injured. In Richmond, Virginia, Nicole Skanga, CBS News. In Florida, a white woman was arrested on Tuesday, days after allegedly shooting her black neighbor through a locked door. CBS's Mark Strassman explains the case is raising new questions about the state's Stand Your Ground law. A neighborhood feud ended in tragedy when a Jekka Owens was shot and killed in front of her son Friday in Ocala, Florida. The 35-year-old was struck in the upper chest by a bullet shot through the front door from a gun allegedly belonging to 58-year-old Susan Lawrence. I wish our shooter would have called us instead of taking actions into her own hands. But on Friday night, after Owens's children were playing outside and approached Lawrence about an iPad they left behind, law enforcement says Lawrence yelled at the kids and threw a roller skate at them, leading Owens to confront Lawrence at her door. Police say Lawrence pulled the trigger, shooting and killing the mother of four. She claimed self-defense under Florida's Stand Your Ground law, which gained national attention and spread to other states after the killing of Trayvon Martin more than a decade ago. The law authorizes the use of deadly force for home protection if someone believes it's necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself. We want to ensure that we get the facts right, especially in a case to this level. Police opened up an investigation, but waited four days to charge the shooter. The delay in arrest sparking protests throughout the community. Attorneys for the victim's family issued a statement following Tuesday's arrest, saying they're relieved, but they are no less concerned that accountability has taken this long because archaic laws like stand your ground exist. She had no weapon. She posed no imminent threat to anyone. What I'm asking is for justice. Justice for my daughter. Mark Strassman, CBS News. Better be careful of ticks outdoors this summer. I always spray it around my ankles. Stepping outside has become an ordeal for 62-year-old Craig Smith. He soaks himself in bug spray after last spring when he says he got a tick bite that changed his life. I'm so used to picking them off me. I've been living out here for 40 years. Smith, who lives in a wooded area in Cream Ridge, New Jersey, says he knew something was off when he started experiencing skin and gastrointestinal issues. I would wake up in the middle of the night. My, my body would be covered with hives. After months of visits to different doctors, he saw an allergist. A neighbor mentioned the alpha-gal syndrome caused by a bite from a lone star tick that has a white mark like this one. Smith found out from a blood test for the alpha-gal IgE that he had it. Now just said you have to come back in a year and get tested again and see what's it. Just avoid all animal products. The tick feeds on the blood of a deer, pig, cow, or lamb, and then introduces some of those carbohydrates to the human through a tick bite. The only thing you can eat is chicken, fish, and uh, lizards because they, they come from eggs. For Smith, it also means he hasn't been able to do some of the things that he loves, like chopping wood and gardening. The UNC School of Medicine reports cases of alpha-gal have risen from 24 since its discovery in 2009 to around 40,000. Right now, the only treatment is avoidance of the trigger foods, um, and they are working on a potential desensitization to the allergy. Smith isn't losing hope. Hoping to get back to smoking meat someday. But for now, he says his nutritionist has been crucial in helping him get by. Lisa Rosner, CBS News, Cream Ridge, New Jersey.
Do you click that box to tip when you buy a cup of coffee? It's getting so expensive people are calling it tipflation, and a growing number of services are encouraging it. CBS's Carter Evans takes a look. There we go. Something's different when you pay for your ice cream at Molly Moon's in Seattle. At the bottom, if you'd like. Tipping is not allowed here. Owner Molly Moon Neitzel says those checkout screens made customers and her workers uncomfortable. Employees don't really want to stand there and think about how much influence you have over what they're going to take home. So she raised prices and raised pay. What's your minimum wage here? We start folks at $21 an hour. Benefits? Absolutely. A new bank rate survey out today suggests two-thirds of Americans now have a negative view about tipping. Homegirl! What am I going to tip you for? I'm not throwing in that added tip on just a coffee. Many annoyed by that familiar tip screen. Technology's made it easier to make a request. There's good data showing that the more you ask for, the more you get. In fact, 60% of Americans say they're now tipping more. Back when Molly Moons accepted tips, she says the biggest winners were credit card processors. Because they make more on the credit card processing fees. And she says the data from the very system that collected the tips showed they led to pay inequities. Black employees at Molly Moons were making a lot less than white employees. You can tell that? Absolutely. Now all employees know exactly how much they'll make. How can you afford this? Seriously. We have really high volume and high sales because I think our customers believe in what we're doing at Molly Moons. Asking for tips at the register runs the risk of alienating customers, but businesses that totally eliminate tips usually have to charge more on menu prices. And the research shows that when restaurants replace tipping with higher menu prices, their online ratings usually go down. Carter Evans, CBS News, Los Angeles. Coming up, a new crisis and much more misery in Ukraine. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup, brought to you by Viking, exploring the world in comfort. Here's correspondent Allison Keyes. Friday, the Pentagon announced a $2 billion Ukraine aid package it says includes critical air defense and ammunition. This as Ukraine begins a counteroffensive while people fleeing floods after a major dam was attacked earlier this week are shelled by Russian forces. Evacuating residents from Kherson is a deadly business. Boats move swiftly through flood-stricken areas, not only ferrying people to dry land, but to escape the ongoing Russian bombardment. This elderly man was rescued by volunteers from his submerged home, only to be filmed moments later with a head wound caused by flying shrapnel. A rescue worker was asked what it was like operating under these conditions Adrenaline. before indicating he needed to get going because of incoming fire. Dear friends, we just, just Ukraine's chief know, rabbi Moshe Ruven Azman was helping emergency crews bring residents to safety when more shelling landed nearby. To bring people here from all the, the river and the Russian territory. Oh, in the eastern part of the country, Ukrainian troops have stepped up offensive operations around the beleaguered city of Bakhmut, 
which was only recently taken by Russian troops, Kiev says it's made steady gains along a wide front line. U.S. officials have told CBS News that there has also been an increase in fighting in a key region along the southern front. Deborah Pater, Kharkiv. In France, a 24-year-old Catholic pilgrim is being hailed as a hero after he fought with the man attacking very young children at a playground, blocking the knife with his large backpack and chasing the suspect. Four children between the ages of 22 months and three years old were among six injured. Harrowing cell phone footage shows the alleged attacker roaming around the children's playground knife in hand. What happens next is too distressing to show. Witnesses say he began targeting toddlers, some in their baby strollers. He was heard shouting, in the name of Jesus Christ. Four children are in the hospital, all under three years old. Police say two adults were also wounded. All of a sudden, a lady says, run, run. There's a guy who is stabbing everybody, says this witness. He stabbed some children. Run, run. The police opened fire, wounding the suspect in the arrest. He's described as a Syrian citizen with legal refugee status in Sweden, according to France's prime minister. This gentleman has no criminal record, she said, is not known to the intelligence services and with no history of psychiatric problems. Charlie Daggett, CBS News. Pope Francis is doing just fine after three hours of surgery this week. His surgeon says there were no complications as they operated on a, on a painful abdominal hernia, removed scar tissue, and implanted a prosthetic mesh. It's an area where Francis has had multiple surgeries over the years, most recently in 2021, when doctors removed 13 inches of large intestine. Back then, he was hospitalized for 10 days. This time around, his doctor says the hospital stay typically lasts five to seven days for this procedure, but he cautions Francis has been through a lot. This is his fourth surgery in his lifetime, and just this spring, the 86-year-old pontiff suffered from a lung infection that also landed him in the hospital. This time around, Pope Francis is wasting no time. His doctor says he went straight back to work from his hospital bed. And as for the timing of this procedure, it's suspected to get Francis healthy enough for his busy travel plans this summer. In early August, he's heading to Portugal. And then at the end of August, he's going all the way to Mongolia. Chris Lipsey, CBS News, Rome. A new milestone for climate activist Greta Thunberg. It's the last day of school and the last school protest for Greta Thunberg. What do we want? Climate justice! She and classmates have been holding a school strike for climate every Friday for the past five years. They held a final protest outside Sweden's parliament after their graduation. Thunberg says she's not about to stop protesting. This is only the beginning of the fight. The climate crisis is only getting worse. She says there are many more young activists taking up the fight. Elaine Cobb, CBS News. Coral reefs are shrinking around the world, but scientists are trying to help. Turning the tide on damaged reefs is a hands-on job. Scientists repair and revive corals in the waters of the Persian Gulf. But the ray of hope comes with a dark warning. By the end of the century, if we don't rethink the way we built, coral reefs could be extinct. Six years ago, the United Arab Emirates lost 70% of its corals when the water hit hot tub temperatures of nearly 100 degrees, which triggered coral bleaching. That's when reefs released the algae that gives corals their color, leaving them vulnerable to disease. 
although it did wipe out a good portion of our corals, it also proved that the corals that we have are actually resilient. And those are the ones divers are searching for, to give them some TLC in a coral reef nursery, a place with clear water, strong currents, and just the right amount of sunlight to help them grow strong again. We try to grow them from very small fragments up to now some of them have reached the size of my fist. That's when conservationists move them back to their original reefs to keep thriving. Dubai is aiming to grow 1 billion artificial corals along a strip of beaches by 2040, a floating, living lab to help marine life prosper. Ian Lee, CBS News. Back in the U.S., the Supreme Court Thursday tossed out Republican-drawn congressional districts in Alabama that civil rights activists say discriminated against black voters. CBS News election law expert David Becker explains. Well, the Republican-led legislature in Alabama had drawn the districts, the seven districts in the congressional map in Alabama, to include only one district in which black voters could meaningfully uh, participate, in in other words, to elect candidates that they chose. And that was a little unusual here, where black voters proved in a state with 27% black voters that they were entitled to more than one, likely two districts. And the lower court agreed with them. And in a state like Alabama, where we see what we call racially polarized voting, in other words, whites vote in such a way as to defeat black candidates of choice, uh, it was determined that uh, indeed black voters were entitled to that additional district. And here the Supreme Court agreed with them. Becker says there are wider implications. One of the things that was really unexpected in this ruling is that we had seen this court erode and weaken and even eliminate some of the key provisions of the Voting Rights Act over the last decade. And this decision put an end to that. This decision clearly established that the Voting Rights Act was constitutional, and that affects many cases nationwide. There are cases going on in Georgia and Louisiana right now where it's likely additional black districts will have to be drawn. It could affect some districts in Texas where additional Hispanic districts could be drawn. But more importantly, this isn't so much about the politics. This is really about the minority voters who are protected under the Voting Rights Act. And this is a case coming from the state of course, where uh, Bloody Sunday occurred, where John Lewis was beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment calls for support amid a nationwide emergency. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, where every week we discuss issues including gender. The nation's largest LGBTQ civil rights organization, the Human Rights Campaign, has issued its first ever national state of emergency for that community, citing legislation it calls an imminent threat to the health and safety of LGBTQ people and families. HRC says the rise in anti-LGBTQ plus measures have led to discriminatory laws, creating a hostile and dangerous environment. It has even created a guidebook for the community to help them navigate the laws in various states. HRC's Vice President of Legal, Sarah Warbelow, explains the declaration of emergency. We are in a moment of crisis for the LGBTQ community um, in our country, and this is impacting folks 
um, in states across the country. Um, there have been more than 525 bills targeting the LGBTQ community introduced in 41 state legislatures. And terrifyingly and disturbingly, um, 78 of those law bills have become law. When you say a dangerous situation, because we have spoken before about the level of physical violence and killings. And I know that uh, yet another black transgender woman was just killed within the past week uh, right outside of Detroit, right? That's correct. And black transgender women are the most vulnerable group um, within the LGBTQ community. But that violence is spreading. It is not limited um, just to transgender women. We are seeing an uptick in violent expression um, and threats at pride events, uh, at drag story hours, any place that the LGBTQ community is gathering. And this is people showing up with signs and guns at, you know, when people are trying to read books at libraries, right? That's correct. It's also escalated to bomb threats um, and other forms of physical violence. What are you hearing from your community? How, how afraid are people to just basically leave their homes? People are feeling a deep existential sense of fear, um, and it's being compounded by the rise in gun violence in our country um, across the board. So when you have uh, a lack of gun control, um, common sense proposals that most Americans can get behind, um, but that aren't being implemented, combined with vicious rhetoric about the LGBTQ community that is being spurred on uh, by lawmakers, it's hard for folks to feel safe um, going out into the world, uh, particularly in places in which they will be publicly identified as LGBTQ people. I've got to ask about the the guidebook because the thing that struck me when I read about it was, well, that sounds like the green book for black people during the civil rights movement, right? That would tell you, you can go to these businesses, they're safe. You can go to these places and buy food in these places to live and work. Is it really as basic as that? You know, our guidebook functions a little differently, um, but the impetus behind both of them were to provide um, communities in danger with the information they needed to be able to navigate life around them. Talk to me about how that works. If I, if I want to go into that book and look up, where should I stay here? Or is this a city that I would like to move to? Mm -hmm. So the guidebook operates in a couple of different ways. One, it provides a snapshot of all of the dangerous laws that have been enacted um, in the United States in the last uh, several years. But it also points to states um, that have adopted good laws where there are non-discrimination um, laws on the books that include both sexual orientation and gender identity so that people can make determinations about where it's safe for them um, to live, where it's safe for them to travel. Um, beyond that, we also uh, point to resources that can help you make determinations um, if you are in a state about what hospitals um, have non-discrimination policies um, that protect LGBTQ people, that have um, employees that have received cultural competency training on how to work with LGBTQ people. Um, we also take steps to help people understand what their legal rights are at the federal level. So if somebody's experienced discrimination um, in education, a parent or a teacher um, can file a complaint on behalf of an LGBTQ student with the Department of Education. Uh, discrimination in hospitals 
um, folks can file complaints with the Department of Health and Human Services. And so we walk people through um, how they can make those complaints, whether it has to be on behalf of themselves or whether they can make it on behalf of other people. I'm curious how a parent and how transgender kids and actually the community in general are dealing because there's such a patchwork of laws every place. How are you supposed to know what you can do or what you can't do and what can and cannot happen to your kid? Well, this guidebook is uh, designed to help people um, put those pieces of the puzzle together to be able to see in a singular place um, everything from uh, whether or not there are educational laws on the books or laws on the books that would impact your child's access um, to age-appropriate, best-practice, gender-affirming care. Um, it also provides resources if you feel like you do have to move, um, where you may be able to receive some additional financial funds to make that move uh, more readily available. I wonder, are you hearing a lot from parents who are basically saying, okay, I'm going to pick up sticks and get out of here because it's just too scary? We are. We're hearing from parents across the country um, who are frightened, who feel that they no longer have an option. And this is a hard decision for folks. It's not like folks are saying, I just want to leave. I want a new adventure. Um, they're really looking at the impact on their kids, um, the possibility of having to leave friends and families to find new jobs in order to relocate. So these are serious decisions um, that take a lot of contemplation and a lot of effort. You know, in our litigation in Tennessee, we had two families who made the really tough decision to no longer be plaintiffs, to feel that they could no longer fight um, on that scale, but had to take their kids to another state for their own safety. Um, we were able to find other folks who were uh, deciding to stay and fight to step in, but these are intensely personal decisions. I wonder what people who are deciding to stay in states such as Florida, where things are, well, I mean, more than a challenge. How, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you navigate that? Folks are making a variety of choices. Um, you know, some of them are coming to organizations like HRC, asking us to litigate on their behalf. And we are doing that um, in Florida. Um, we've brought a challenge to the state's gender affirming care ban um, and won an injunction on behalf of three of our plaintiffs that has ramifications um, uh, for other folks as well. Um, but folks are also fighting back by looking at ways um, to influence school boards, um, to run sometimes for elected office themselves, um, to support folks who are really going to be champions of the LGBTQ community. Um, parents are also making hard decisions, um, sometimes uh, scraping money together because a private school might be a better choice for their child in this moment um, because it's an environment um, in which they can receive an education um, that is fully inclusive of LGBTQ kids. I've got to ask you, there are people in some states that say that these laws against gender affirming care, these laws against teaching about gender in schools are all about, quote unquote, protecting children and not having children confront something that they are too, long, too, too young to deal with, ideas they're too young to deal with. How, how do you respond to their concerns? It's a misguided um, uh, approach to the well-being of a child that actually simply results um, in a greater risk 
of anxiety, depression, and even suicide ideation amongst young people who are LGBTQ. Not talking about it doesn't make these kids stop existing. Um, it forces them in the closet and it strips away all of the supportive resources they have. You know, these laws are designed to alienate and isolate LGBTQ kids, particularly transgender students. If their coaches can't support them because they're not allowed to play on sports teams, if their doctors can't support them because they can't provide them with the medical care they need, if their parents can't support them because they risk um, being criminalized or uh, found as child abusers for ensuring that their kids get what they need in day-to-day -day life, if their teachers can't support them. We are in a situation in which all of the discrimination and the impact of having um, you know, a minority status becomes exponential um, and it makes it hard for these kids to navigate. It increases the likelihood of negative outcomes for them. It doesn't protect them. I've just got to ask you one more. It's Pride Month, so people are traveling. You know, I, I live in D.C., so there are literally pride flags of all stripes and all colors everywhere. What does this mean for summer travel for the LGBTQ community? Is, is it more dangerous this year than it has been before? You know, we want to make sure that people are making informed decisions. There's no one place that any person should decline to go to. But wherever you're going, you need to know what your resources are and what potentially could happen to you. You know, in Florida, one of the laws that passed um, prohibits transgender people from using restrooms consistent with their gender identity um, in any government owned or operated building. That includes airports. So that's really important information um, for a transgender person to know if they're thinking about traveling to Florida to visit family um, or to attend a festival. Um, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't go. What it means is that they have to understand what the risks are in making those determinations. And I must ask, though, that there is some joy at this time of year, right? There is always joy and pride. You know, we can have these conflicting emotions um, simultaneously. Um, you can have anxiety and fear and pride and joy in being who you are. And that's what Pride's all about. It's about fighting back um, and taking ownership um, of who we are, um, knowing that there's nothing wrong with us for being LGBTQ people. That's Sarah Warbelow at HRC. Coming up, the challenge of internet access. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Millions of people in the nation are living without access to high-speed broadband internet at home, whether in low-income neighborhoods in some cities or in some of the more far-flung communities. The Biden administration is hoping to change that by extending broadband to all parts of the country in about five years. CBS's Ouija Jang reports for West Virginia on what that could mean for those caught in the digital divide. This may be the, the best that it gets. When Amanda Moore can't get on the web. It's not responding. She doesn't just reset her router or modem like many of us would. Moore takes her laptop for a ride up the hill behind her house on the hunt for a hot spot. It's kind of like you share your favorite place to shop. We share our favorite places to get signal. 
Moore lives in Clay County, West Virginia, a state where the FCC estimates about a third of homes and businesses do not have high-speed broadband access. While she now often works from home for the United Way, Moore was a professional photographer for 20 years. Not having the bandwidth to upload files turned out to be much more than an inconvenience. It sounds like it altered your career path. It did. It absolutely altered my career path. I didn't have the time to wait for the infrastructure to catch up to, you know, the business that we wanted to have, so I just had to let it go. Broadband isn't a luxury anymore. It's a necessity. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is leading the Biden administration's $65 billion broadband push as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law signed in 2021. Bravo. Working to make it universally available in about five years. Ramondo's broader mission is maintaining America's competitiveness with China. She says internet access is critical. It's really essential um, to our competition. So are we at a disadvantage right now? Tapping into everyone in America, boys, girls, people of color, people living in rural America, will make us stronger. And if those are the people who don't have the internet, we're losing out on their talent. Talent, like 15-year-old Jaylee Persinger. I really like this one. I like it's that one pretty. too. Who does not have broadband at her house in Heiko, West Virginia. How does the lack of fast service impact your schoolwork at home? Well, it, make, it makes it very hard. It takes me about like a minute to five minutes to like reconnect. And by that time, with my ADHD, I'm like, okay, is this even like worth doing? Did you hear on time today? Yeah. boy. Jaylee's principal, Richard Pettit, says some students can't connect to the internet at all. We have a lot of kids that live up um, in the back collars of, of the area that just doesn't have the option or they can't afford it at home. If we don't do something to address the gap, we can only determine that we're going to leave people behind. West Virginia, along with every other state, will receive federal funding to expand broadband access. Exactly how the billions of dollars are divvied up will be announced by the end of this month based on the newly released FCC coverage map. But even with the influx of cash, it may still be a long road. The biggest challenge is topography. So you think about some places out in the West or, or anywhere really with mountain ranges, with difficult physical circumstances, but we will get it done. For Amanda Moore, it can't get done soon enough. Would broadband access make your life better? Broadband access would make me probably sing and dance and <laughs> Yeah, it would make my life easier. It would make everybody's life a lot easier. The federal government is not just trying to expand broadband access. It's also trying to lower the cost. The Affordable Connectivity Program offers subsidies to those who qualify to purchase a computer and pay monthly Internet bills. More than 18 and a half million U.S. households have already enrolled. And full disclosure, my parents in rural West Virginia, where I grew up, are among those who do not have access to broadband. So I have seen firsthand how it can make people feel like they are stuck in time. CBS News White House correspondent Weijia Jang. Now to soccer, where fans in the U.S. are losing their minds as a legendary player heads our way. It's the sound we often hear from international soccer games. The OBC! <laughs> 
But get ready to hear that here in the U.S. as Lionel Messi is heading to play for Inter Miami. He told Mundo Deportivo he has not closed at 100%, but that it's going through and that he wanted to leave Europe to get out of the spotlight and think more about his family. The 35-year-old superstar will officially leave PSG this month when his contract expires after two seasons with the French Giants. Before that, he spent his entire career with Barcelona. Matt Piper, CBS News. Finally, the story of a dog with a huge heart. And we have to tell you the details are upsetting, but no, there's a happy ending. In 2018, Denali suffered horrific abuse at the hands of her owner, a woman involved in domestic abuse that locked her in a crate and set her on fire. But not only did Denali survive, now she's showing other domestic violence victims that they can too. WTSP-TV reporter Jenny Dean with her story. Carrie Burick remembers the day she met Denali. And since she had third degree chemical burns over about 35% of her body. The 30 minute drive to the emergency vet, hearing her cry the whole way. We weren't sure if she was gonna survive. She was in the ICU at Blue Pearl for 16 days. But she did survive, coming home with bandages covering most of her body for months. Once she was released from the hospital, people heard her story and her story of survival. And um, they would contact the shelter and they would ask if they could meet her. Carrie originally volunteered just to foster Denali until she was better. But that all changed when she realized there was a much bigger purpose for both of them. You are so cute. When I saw her walk into a room and she just lit up that room and just her tail's always going and the people that that meet her are so excited and happy to meet her, I thought, you know, this, we should do this. Denali now visits a domestic violence center in Clearwater each week, teaching victims how to become survivors. When they know that she's a survivor, they know that they can do anything and they can you know, be smiling and happy again, the way that Denali is bringing the joy to them. For everything that she's gone through and everything that she's overcome, to come out on the other side with, with no ill will, with no, no hate in her heart, she loves everyone. And I mean, that is just, to me, I learn from her every day. Like, she's, she has changed my life, you know, as much as, you know, she, she changes other people's lives. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor and Alan Pang provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. 
Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.